Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zenashe. I am a coach, conduit, and catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So today's episode is going to be called Freedom, and it's going to be from a different perspective because um, it's going to focus on personal freedom. You know, we have freedom, of course, in America. We have the Bill of Rights. We have freedoms of speech and religion and, you know, assembly and all these things. But even in a land of freedom, I think that many of us, myself included, don't always exercise freedom. We censor ourselves. We try to fit in to society's expectations. And that's good in some ways, because we do need to have a civilized society, but it can limit us. And uh, one of the goals of this podcast, as I just said, is to replace limitations with possibilities. Because when you censor yourself and you only allow certain possibilities, you cut off a lot of other choices. And that can lead to being in a box and being uh, repressed and oppressed where you've done it to yourself or you've let other people do it to you. And so recently, for those of you that don't know, I actually wrote a memoir. I should. And um, it's over the last seven years of my life. And of course, when you're writing a memoir, you have to think, okay, what am I going to put in it? What am I going to leave out of it? How truthful am I going to be? Uh, for me, it really was a way to explore the freedom that I found and the shedding of a lot of identities that no longer fit me. And um, I start in chapter one mm. with attitude and just like Zenergy, which has been ABC, um, the book is from A to Z. And so chapter one is attitude and it's all chapter one is all about going from the attitude of being insecure and self-conscious and doubtful of my worth to accepting that I have inherent value and that I don't have to define myself based on um, what society has said my value is. Um, and I'm going to have my co-host um this is john ross dyke how you doing and he's actually my cameraman um and so he knows many of the chapters intimately because we have been recording the audio book right. for plenty of guppies right. and we are about in chapter seven i think we finished chapter seven last week um, so he's going to be kind of discussing his thoughts on the book with me, asking me questions. So this will be kind of a different format than, um, the normal podcast right. because he's going to be kind of interviewing me more than I'm interviewing him. Um, so I don't know exactly what he's going to ask me. So you're going to get to see me just respond and, and, and converse about the book. But, um, if you are reading the book then I would love for you to comment. I would love for you to put comments under the live and, and it could be something that we respond to in a later uh, podcast um, or that I just, you know, 
comment on under the live. If you're out there in podcast land when this gets released and you're reading the book again, you know, you definitely can uh, send messages to me through Facebook, through Instagram, through email, you know, through my link tree. Um, and, and I do want the book to be a, a talking point because it does deal with identity. It does deal with dating and relationships and, uh, womanhood, personhood, um, being human, you know, growth, personal development, which is what Zenergy is all about. So, so I'm going to kind of turn things over to you and let you kind of start <laughs> however you want to start it as we discuss chapter one and chapter two. I, I think um, I don't want it to go without being said that just being in control of this helm now is uh, something I don't take uh, for granted. I want to just start off reading what you wrote in your book because, you know, I had to buy a copy. There was no way that I was going to be involved in your journey and not buy a copy of everything and anything that you do. But it says to the poet, videographer, actor who helped me take Xenergy to a new level. Thank you for your support and assistance. And I just want to say congratulations on um, writing this masterpiece, um, the vulnerability in it, the um, realness. You know, a lot of people when, when they talk about divorce and getting back into uh, dating, they don't talk about how insecure it might be to be, you know, put your life on hold and say, you know what, I'm going to get married. I'm going to give myself to somebody else. And when it doesn't work, they're not as forward with saying why it doesn't work. And I think that as I've listened to you, as I've read it, and as I've listened to the book while editing it, that might go unnoticed that you had to kind of touch some insecure spots and you had to go dig, you had to dig deep you know, to talk about why divorce was even an option. And so um, I just think that, first of all, it's here. <laughs> I don't know. It just, when I look at it, I just, I when I look at it, when I look at this book, it makes me believe that anything is possible. And I think that your um, catchphrase for the podcast, replacing limitations with possibilities, that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, not necessarily to talk about location, but I think that uh, where we're from, um, being educators, I think that being allowed to be a creative, write a book is something that might be frowned upon. And I think that you go jumping out there and saying, listen, I've done it once on a, on a scale, but I'm going for the gusto now. I'm going for the big the big boy. Uh, I think that that also goes on notice and I'm just super proud to be um, around you. You're very motivating. And uh, I look at you as a mentor to me, you know what I'm saying? So I, I just think that this masterpiece here is it's here and it just makes anything possible. Anything you want to do in life, you can do mm-hmm. with the right structure, uh, with the right goal in mind and with just a little courage. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. Thank you for that. And, and yeah, <laughs> courage is a, 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 a big word because um, we're talking about freedom, but being free takes some courage because I think it's easy to follow what's expected mm. and it's easy to follow 
you know, what your parents, I mean, even though sometimes you don't want to, you, you want to rebel, you know, but it's easy to follow what your parents and society says, okay, do this, do this. It's next, you know, you go to high school and the next you go to college and the next you get a job and then you get married and then you have kids and then, and you follow this pattern and, um, society tells you, if you do these things, then you're going to be fulfilled and you're going to be happy and everything's going to work out for you. Um, and you'll have some struggles along the way. Yes, but this is what you're supposed to do, you know, and then you have those moments like divorce where, okay, this is a disruption. This is not what I signed up for. I wanted my marriage to work, both of them. I wanted to be till death do us part, but that wasn't something that I was able to do uh, for a lot of different reasons. And, and yeah, it is, you know, to put yourself out there and say, okay, this is what I did wrong. This is what I wish I had known. This is what um, I saw lacking in myself regardless of what the other person did, you know, cause in, in a divorce, there's two people and two people contribute, but you know, I did in the book say, okay, this is what I wish I had known. This is what I wish I was able to do, but I didn't know. And I didn't do. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that was some courage, you know, some courage, um, even just in telling everything that I told in the book. Yeah. There's some courage, um, so yeah, I appreciate you saying the things that you said. And I'm, I'm very, I am very humble in a sense that I have the ability. There's some people who would like to write and mm. they can't, they would like to do poetry and they can't, um, they don't have, they just don't have the, whatever it takes to do it. Um, and so I am very humble when I realize that I can do some things that other people would like to do and, and don't necessarily have the ability to do. Cause I can't do what everybody else does either. You know, right. we right. all have our lane. So, um, and I, I am very humble in the fact that people are reading it and, and getting something from it because that does make me feel like, okay, the pain that I went through is uh valuable not only for my own growth but for other people to not have to bang their head against the same wall possibly so yeah so i, I guess the most important question that i like to ask and i like i would have liked to be asked of me is why now mm. well i've told a couple of people this um I was not intending on writing this book. People have been asking me, when are you going to come out with a poetry book? When are you going to come out with a poetry book? And I actually did write a poetry book and I sent it off during quarantine and it was not called plenty of guppies. It was totally a poetry book. There was no memoir part in it at all. It didn't get accepted. But last October, my mom's birthday, October 3rd, I woke up and, uh, I felt completely stuck. I, I, you know, I knew it was her birthday. I felt a lot of emotions about it because she had passed on and I just felt completely stuck. Even though I had a huge to-do list of things I could have done, I, I just felt completely stuck and I didn't know what I was going to do with that day. And I didn't know what I was going to do with the next day or any of those days coming up because I just felt so stuck. And then I heard this voice inside saying, it's been seven years since your divorce and you haven't 
taken stock. You haven't reflected. You haven't sat down and looked at the whole journey from the day you got divorced till now. And you need to do that because this stuck feeling that you have, you're going to have it until you stop and you go back and you come all the way forward. And I sat down at my computer and I started writing and I was just thinking about writing for me. I wasn't even thinking about anybody else. I wasn't thinking about the dates or any of that. I was, I was just kind of going back in my head through where I was emotionally, mentally. And after the five hours, when I looked at what I wrote, I said, oh my goodness, I'm writing the book that people have been telling me I should have been writing for six or seven years now. And then once I started, um, I actually couldn't stop. It was kind of like, you know, I hate to use this analogy because it's a, a little gross, but it's like kind of like if you go to the restroom and you start to urinate, you can't stop midstream. It's like once it started to come out, it all started to come out. And then so I wrote the book in 65 days and then I went back and I, I just had this really strong push. And I put this in the last chapter of the book to have it edited to go write the first draft and then go back and write the second draft where I edited it and have that done before the end of the year, which was December 31st of last year, which was the end of the seven years. And to get it off to my editor before the end of the year. And we were actually working on this book, editing this book, because this book hadn't come out yet. Mm -hmm. And I was actually writing, finishing the additions to this because this is actually longer than the first first version of it that I made. And I told her, I said, I'm writing another book. And she's like, we're not even done with the first one yet. I said, I know, I know, but I'm going to get it to you before uh, January 1st. And this one will be out by then. I was like, but I, I have to do this because I feel like I'm going to be stuck until I go back and I reflect on everything that's happened and I put everything in perspective and I, and I evaluate everything that's happened to me. And so it was very cathartic. And there were days that I cried and cried and cried and cried going through the book, but it was very cathartic to do it. You know, one thing that you've mentioned this time, and I know, I know you to be an English teacher um, for 20 plus years. Why do you think that it was important to have somebody in the lane of an editor look over it for you um, after you wrote it? Well, um, I, when I was doing the first book, Zenergize Your Life, I realized that I know about writing. I know nothing about publishing. I know nothing about marketing a book. I know nothing about launching a book. Um, I know the limits of my knowledge. And I think it was, Dirty Harry or somebody said, know your limitations. I, I know my limitations. So my limitations were I knew nothing about any of the things that were going to make the book successful because a book isn't just successful because of the quality of the writing. It's successful because of everything else that goes into it that I didn't know. Like, how do I write a good blurb? How do I make sure that the format is is correct? How do I how do I launch it? How do I get people to buy into it? You know? Um, so I didn't know any of that. And so I knew that I needed to get help. 
to put all my ducks in a row so that the story that I wanted to tell through the guided journal and, and also through the memoir would have an audience because just me putting it out there doesn't mean it's going to have an audience if it's not put out there in, in a way that the, that the audience is ready to receive it. So I, I knew my limitations. So that's why. And also when you are in the forest, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. So, um, I'm close to both of these books. They're my thoughts. They're my ideas, my, you know, experiences. So I needed someone who was not invested in a sense, had no, um, they were objective. I needed an objective viewer to say, does this make sense? You know, am I, am I running off into the weeds here? Is this clear? Cause there were quite a few times when she would say, reword this or that sentence is too long or, Girl, you like to write in capitals a lot. Can you tone it down? <laughs> you know, so things I didn't even notice about myself. Another thing was she said, you like to write in fragments a lot. I was like, yeah, I didn't even notice that. I do like to write in fragments a lot. You know, so there were things that I noticed about my writing style that I had never noticed until somebody was pointing it out to me. Um, and it's, it was very interesting. So I, I grew a lot as a writer by noticing or having certain things pointed out to me that I would have never on my own noticed. You, uh, we were talking before and you said that you read the book. Um, what was your thought when you read the book from start to finish on the other end of things? Yeah. After I, I kind of feel like it's like an actor when they have been playing, you know, all these different scenes and then they see the finished movie and it it's become something different mm. than all those scenes. Cause I wrote it and I edited it and then I sat down and read it and I was like, Hmm, well, first off it was hard for me to put down, which is funny because <laughs> I know what's going to happen in a sense. But then I forgot a lot of times, like, how did I tell the story? What, how did I phrase that? Um, and I would go back and read things. I was like, Oh, I like the way I said that. That was really well described. Okay. That was some good imagery. So there were things that I was able to appreciate, um, as I was reading it. And then I did it. I'm going to look back at this <laughs> because I think it's good for you to remember, um, your own growth and your own, um, lessons, you know, for me, writing down the lessons that I learned was very cathartic, but also it, it is something I feel like this is going to be something I go back to again and again, because these are lessons that I need to live and I need to never forget that I learned because sometimes we learn a lesson and we forget that we learned it and we have to go through that same experience again because we forgot that we learned it. I don't want that to happen. I want to remember and, and integrate all of these lessons into my life and not just have written them down, but to actually live based on the things that I actually learned. So, yeah. In your podcast, you mentioned a lot about being a conduit. Mm. Um, I know you to be a poet, a teacher, uh, and an author now, right? Um, but you have lessons in your book that you kind of are telling yourself, this is what you should have gotten from the situation mm -hmm. at hand. Mm -hmm. 
why do you think that it was important to um, end each chapter off with a lesson? Well, to me, um, life is about lessons and growth. And life is a journey of growing and learning from what you experience. And if you're not learning from what you're experiencing, I feel like you're going to repeat the same things over and over again. So um, it also gave meaning to everything. So if I look at my divorce, if I didn't learn anything from it, what was the meaning in that? You know, if I look at, um, a relationship or a dating experience. And if I didn't learn anything from it, what was the meaning of it? So for me, part of the meaning making is, is learning from it and, and growing from it. And so, um, I felt I wanted for myself and for the audience to realize that life is a book. Mm. Life is a test. Life has lessons. And to, to in a sense, take those in. And I felt like if I, if I ended every chapter with a lesson, cause once I, you know, I'm writing about seven years of my life, how am I going to break this big chunk of time into digestible units? And the way that I decided to break it into digestible units was the ABCs. Every chapter, you know, goes A to Z. Attitude is the first chapter. Boldness is the second chapter. Caution is the third chapter. Delve, explore, focus, guidance, you know. So once I came up with the word, um, and then I looked at all of the experiences. It was like, I got to a certain point and was like, okay, I'm going to cut it here. Cause now I can take that word and give a lesson based on all of these things that have happened in this time period that I've learned from. And I can sum it up into four or five sentences or less, you know? So that's why it was important to me because otherwise it's too much. It's too much, too many events, too many people for me, you know, to explain. So to me, that was one way of making it sections that were grouped and, and organized in a certain way. And hindsight is twenty twenty, you know. <laughs> so at the time, you know, I'm like, what's going on? I don't know. You know, but now looking back seven years, it's like, okay, yeah, I see the road. I see how it was laid out. I see all of these things lining up, you know. So yeah, that's how I did it. Um You know the character that I that I have, you know, asked you about, uh when we record who's the guppy that got away. And if you have to, if people have to read the book, they have to read the book, but who do you believe is the guppy that got away? I don't think there's a guppy that got away. Um, the character that I think you're referring to hasn't gotten away. Cause he's still in my life. Right. Um, he is probably the most enigmatic, mysterious, difficult to understand character for me. Mm -hmm. 
uh, the reader may have a totally different perception of him. Mm -hmm. But for me, he was unlike any person I had ever met, which made it very difficult for me to deal with him because he didn't fit into any pattern that I could, I could understand his behavior to me was inexplicable in a lot of ways. But, um, I, I got to the point where I was very glad that, um, he had come into my life because I feel like there, there are those people. It's kind of like the, the sand and the oyster that makes the pearl, mm-hmm. you know, there are those people that they sharpen you. They, they scratch you. They, you know, they irritate you, but they sharpen you. They make you better. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that he is one of those people who made me better, even though we had a very, tumultuous uh, <laughs> interaction, mm-hmm. you know, so, but I can, I can definitely embrace the journey. And, and I think that it also is humbling because no matter how old you are, um, no matter how many experiences you've had, mm-hmm. there are people that come into your life and you're like, what is going on? Why am I acting like this? What is, you know, there are people in situations that you just, you can't control, you can't figure out. And I think it, it makes you in a sense humble. Mm. So man, uh the poetry part. Mm. Talk to me about the poetry part. Why do you think that the poetry part is sort of like the rule of this gumbo? Why is it mm. why is it the part that kind of meshes everything together? I am a poet. I, the deepest emotions to me are in the poetry part. That's the part where my feelings were bubbling over and they were coming out in these rhymes and lines and images. The, the narration ties everything together, but the poetry to me is the, the richness, the depth, the the heartbreak, the passion, the intimacy, um, because that is the part that is the rawest to me. It's the rawest. the The prose is a little more polished. It's a little more. Um, how can I put it? It's just a little more controlled. But the poetry is the poetry. You know, so I felt that um, all the poems were written, of course, before the book. So all of those poems were written at the times when those things were happening. And then it was just a matter of pulling. I I have probably 300 poems. 92 were in the book. So there are lots of poems that are not in the book that will probably end up in a different book. But um, those were the most tied to my journey of identity and dating and relationships and sex and passion and confusion and grief and all those emotions. So to me, um, I think that's one of the things that makes the book unique because I've never seen a memoir that was poetry and prose. There's probably plenty of them out there. I just never have seen one. Um, so yeah. 
How do you define the word prose? What does that mean? Prose, prose to me is paragraphs, regular sentences, um, the regular story, narration. Gotcha. You know, yeah. Gotcha. Poetry and prose. Gotcha. I just, um, to me, I, I, I enjoy watching people create. I think it's it's something that people do but don't know that they're doing. And when the final product comes out, I just I'm kind of like 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 I said, making it it's a possibility like people might not know how to start. Mm. They might not know the direction in which to take. And I'm reminded that it was inevitable because the details in this book, right? The details in this book almost kind of created themselves. What I mean by that is you go through an experience and a lot of people just go through an experience and they say, I went through it. Cool. This is what I learned. But they never think to jot it down. And in jotting it down, you could always kind of go back to it, refresh your mind, create something from that, kind of disguise what you want to disguise but you still have the details in it. And that's one thing that I'm, uh, when I've, when I've listened to the book, I said, man, this, this does not lack detail. You know, you can't just, you can't just decide I want to make, write a book today. And then tomorrow you're writing a book and, and then you're just making everything up. This is just kind of like, this happened for real. Like, damn, <laughs> this happened for real. So, so, um, and I liken it to the fact of, you know, everybody, we all watched, the Jordan documentary and this book kind of reminds me of that. And what I mean by that is that there is a story behind the story. Like we, we see, we know that you're, that you're divorced, but here we get the details as to how the divorce came about. And I don't think that this book is possible without you first being able to, uh, knowing that you're going to journal um, writing everything down and, you know, having a planner, organizing that from the volumes to the book, this book. So I, I just think that the details in the book are are what make the book phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of funny because I did the guided journal and um, when I was doing the podcast and you know this. We started off the podcast and there were no books, written. Mm -hmm. no books. Mm -hmm. We're talking to people mm -hmm. and I'm talking about journaling and people start reaching out to me. Well, what do you write about? And, and what, what, what were you writing about when you started this podcast? And you talk about, you jotted down stuff in your planner. Well, what did you jot down? And, and I was like, Oh, can you teach me how to journal? Oh yeah, I actually can. You know? And so I came up with the guided journal. And then, like I said, when I sat down and I, um, the first day, October 3rd, when I sat down and I wrote for five hours, that was all from memory. I'm just writing. And then I'm like, oh, this is the book. So now I actually have to do research. Now I have to go get, and you saw, I had this, this box with my nine journals in mm -hmm. it from mm -hmm. all the way back to 1999. Mm. Um, and I started in 1999, even though this book is only seven years ago, because I felt like I needed to go back to my first marriage and look at that. Who was I then? 
And how was that different from my second marriage? So I read that whole, I read three whole journals back, back to back, which covered, um, 1999 through 2006 or seven. And then I had stuff that I had written on the computer because I had started writing journals a lot of times on the computer rather than by hand. And so I did a whole lot of reading. (laughs) I did a lot of reading of my own journals to write that book because I didn't remember those details. And it was actually disturbing, I told you this, to go back and to read who I was in my first marriage and how broken that person was in that abusive marriage. In fact, I told you I'm going to probably throw that journal away. (laughs) But you were like, don't throw it away, don't throw it away. I haven't thrown it away. Um, Because I was a, I, yeah, abuse leaves marks and that person who wrote that journal I couldn't relate to her you know I I couldn't relate to her um I know it was me but I I almost I'm talking about it like as a whole nother person because it was very disturbing very disturbing to read that journal and I had not read that journal in 20 years maybe um so that it was very eye opening to go back and read my journals and see how I developed and how I became the person that I am and, and all of the different steps that that happened. So writing that book, um, it was. It's hard to even explain to somebody what it's like to go 20 years into the past and look at yourself through journals because mm-hmm. I'd never done that before. Mm-hmm. And then to try to explain to somebody, anybody, whoever wants to listen, um, that journey. And I, I, you know, I dip a little bit into my first marriage, but it mostly is the last seven years, you know, so it, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it was quite a journey. You have these books on hand, you have these books on hand and a stranger asks you, um, what are you selling? And you say, it's a, it's a book about my, um, it's a book detailing my, uh, my story after my divorce. So then they ask you, what is your story? How do you answer that question? My story is the story of a Southern woman who was trained to be a Southern woman to put a lot of other people first and to think of herself as second and how she went from that to saying, I matter. My feelings matter. I don't have to worry about being ladylike all the time. I can be passionate. I can be um, goal oriented. I can be ambitious. And I'm going to use my talents and skills, even if men don't approve and they think I'm too, uh, too um, knowledgeable, too um, independent, too whatever, and that I'm no longer going to find my value 
in what men or what society says I am, that I'm going to define my value for myself. And I think that I was talking to a lady at the Shrine of the Black Madonna who was a vendor. And she said, she said, your story is a Southern woman's story. She's like, because Northern women, we don't have that problem. We are not trained to be subservient. We are not trained. She said, I was in a room with some men and the man said, oh, I, I didn't eat all of the, the lunch my, my, my wife made for me. And she's looking at him like, your wife made you lunch? And he's like, yeah, she made me breakfast too. And she's like, I've been married 43 years and I've never made my husband, you know, breakfast or lunch just to make him breakfast or lunch. You know, if I was making something for myself or making something for the family, of course, I've made some for everybody, but just to specifically make a lunch for him or specifically make a break, like to get up, to wake up when I don't have to go to work to make mm-hmm. a breakfast for him. That's not something that Northern women you hear discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my story is a Southern woman's story of a certain age. I'm 51. So there are women who they may not have experienced what I experienced, but I think that my story, some of the reviews that I've gotten is my story is a story of every woman, Mm. you know? Um, I disagree, but I disagree with that statement that that person made mm -hmm. because, um, Part of me interrupting because oh, it's good. Um, everybody, people can go through the same experience, but see it two different ways. And I think that the fact that the fact that you're a poet gives you the words to kind of say. I think a lot of people that go through abuse don't know how to how to express themselves even by saying, Hey, I've been abused or Hey, my marriage is bad. I'm going to get a divorce. I don't know how to express that, but I think that poetry kind of, and being a poet kind of sets you apart from the other women that may have been able to write a book about their experience, but haven't or have, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, the, the, the book is a book about identity and the book is also a book of here is society. And here are the things that society tells us, whether it's religion, whether it's these archetypes, because I do do deal with archetypes, good woman, good men, you know, Eve, the damsel in distress, um, you know, the rose doctrine, all of these things that are put upon people to tell you the myths that we believe in, the myths that we grow up with, Prince Charming, you know, these things impact us. And, and they make us feel that we have to be certain ways. And for me, the last seven years has been about taking off a lot of these things and looking at it. Is there still value in this? Do I still want to keep this? Or do I want to put this aside as something that I learned, but it really isn't helpful. And it really is holding me back. And so I'm going to put this aside and say, no, I don't believe that anymore. Or I'm not going to live by that anymore. So, so I think that as a, as a societal discussion, there's a lot of discussion points in the book about society and what society says about men, women, boys, girls, you know, boys will be boys, Mm -hmm. you know, um, these different things that we have 
grown up in. And sometimes you grow up in something so much that you don't even realize that you've grown up in it until later. And you're like, Ooh, you know, I think a lot of us, we've had that experience when we see, we look back at, let's say you look back at a TV show. I've mentioned the Dukes of Hazzard. I love the Dukes of Hazzard growing up. Didn't even realize that the general Lee was, was, you know, had a big Confederate flag on it and what that meant, Mm -hmm. you know? So as you get older, you look at things with a different viewpoint and you're like, um, hmm. I'm not comfortable with that now, you know? And, and now that I know better, I see things differently and I can, I can realize I saw it this way as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, but now I'm older and I see something different and it's okay to see something different. It's okay to, to change, you know, it's growth. Um, now that you've put the book out and it's for sale, obviously on the various platforms that it's on, what is the goal, um, monetarily for the book? Uh, How do you know it's a success outside of it, outside of you saying, hey, I wrote the book, it's a success. How do you know that financially it brings to you what you put into it, you know, creatively? Okay, well, I guess the first goal, well, number one, to be a success, um, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. the book was a success the day it launched. Got you. Because of the fact, and I've told you this story. I was there. So February 9th, I'm on the phone with my editor sitting in front of the computer. We are uploading the book to Amazon and it's giving us error messages. And I'm like, okay. And she (laughs) says, I'm going to call the formatter. We'll figure out what's going on. And I will text you in the morning to let you know. It's uploaded. The first text I get in the morning is not from her. It's from a couple people. I got your book. I'm like, where? What are you talking about? Which book? Does your life? No, the new one. Plenty of guppies. I was like, uh, how did you get it? I just went to Amazon and typed in plenty of guppies. You know, you gave us the bookmark. You said it was coming out on the 14th on Valentine's Day. So I thought maybe you put it up early. So I just went to look. I typed in plenty of guppies. It popped up. I haven't even heard from my editor yet. I'm like, okay, let me go to Amazon. Let me type in plenty of guppies. I type it in and it's number one Mm. in Native American poetry. I haven't even, we hadn't even made the flyer Mm -hmm. to announce the book was out yet. Mm-hmm. I call my sister and I say, the book is number one. She goes, how is it number one? I haven't got my Kindle version yet. I was like, the Kindle version isn't even launched yet. I said, it's number one. She was like, oh, wow. And that's what I said. I was like, oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> so, and it's still number one. This is March the 6th. 23 days from December, from December, from February 10th is still number one. And the paperback is number two. So that's success. Um, I wrote in my journal, <laughs> uh, my other journal, you know, I have, I'm pointing at this cause you know, that, that came from my journals, but I wrote in my journal. I wanted to have a number one mm. book on Amazon. And I wrote that like, in December 
and this one came out number one. So that's a success. Um, I guess the first monetary success would be to get the money that I put into publishing this back. Right. Um, but for me, um, my idea of monetary success is for the book to generate passive income. So that means like right now, as we're talking, there are people that are buying the book. Mm -hmm. There are people that are downloading the book mm -hmm. and I'm not physically talking to them in, you know, like here one-to-one -one saying, Hey, this is my book. They are, somebody else told them about it. They mm -hmm. saw it on social media or they're listening to this podcast, you know, this, this live interview. Um, so that to me is success because I think, um, financial freedom is when you are not physically working mm -hmm. and you're still making money. But the biggest goal of this book was really not money. You know, um, my goal in writing this book was number one, I felt like it was something I had to do. Um, it was something I had to do because I was stuck on that day and my inner self said, you need to go back to be able to move forward. And then the other thing was, and you know, this before October happened, August happened of last year. And in August, Baba Fana passed. Mm, God bless. And yes. And, and my friend from New York passed. God bless. And that, that floored me, you know, that, that I've lost a lot of people. I've lost a lot of people, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my in-laws, uh, my son's best friend. You know, there are 11 people that are mentioned in this book that died in the last seven years, 11, you know, and part of this book is dealing with grief. Part of this book mm. is saying, hey, um, I want to have a place where I can give credit to the people that helped me that um, whether they were friends, relatives, or these people who have passed on, part of me needed to do a whole lot more than just go to a funeral or write a poem for them. I needed a place to say, I am who I am. I'm doing right. this podcast. I've wrote this first journal. I am not that broken woman who got divorced seven years ago because of you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And so part of it was not for money at all. It was to say, I have to give you credit. I cannot take credit for being whole and being sane and being um, healthy and being grounded and feeling hopeful without giving credit to all of the people who got me here because, uh, you know, Baba Fana was a huge influence on in my life. So, mm. so was my mother, my father, you know, my grandparents, you know, and the fact that they're not here, but their lessons are still here, 
you know, their lessons are still here. And so that was, it was a way for me to take some of the wisdom that people say I have. Yes, I have been given wisdom. I have been gifted with wisdom. I have been blessed with wisdom. All of this stuff didn't come from me. I am a receptacle of all of the people that poured into me. And so part of the book had nothing to do with money. If, if, if this book didn't even make a dime, there would be a part of me that would say, there's a record that these people made a difference in my life, you know? So, yeah. Um, only thing I have left is, um, what's next? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, when I did volume one of Zenergize Your Life, of course, you know, the goal was to have, um, a volume for every one of the alphabets. Um, so this is a, and then there'll be B and C and all the rest of them. So that's next. Um, next is also going to be that, I will leave education at some point, mm. not too far in the future. I'm not going to tell anybody any dates. Congratulations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to go tell any dates right now, but um, I will be working on moving into the next phase of my life, writing more, uh, doing workshops, um, being a consultant, trying to get people, you know, we're talking about freedom. My goal is for everyone, you know, I say at the beginning of the podcast, replacing limitations with possibilities, it's energy, you know, small changes, big results. Um, that butterfly effect, you know, you have the small change, big result. Um, for people to grow and change and impact others and for me to be a, a small part in that ripple effect. Um, and so that's what's next to see where this, to see where the rabbit hole leads, you know, um, the podcast and and I have to thank the audience. I have to thank the audience. And again, this book is my love letter to the audience too, because Mm. at the end, in the last chapter, I say that when it got hard to write this book, (laughs) I thought about everybody that, um, was going through things and maybe something in the book might help them. And I pushed through, you know what I'm saying? Cause there were days when it was like, do I really want to do this? Do I really mm. want to go back? And I mean, I was dreading, mm-hmm. I was dreading some of the chapters cause I knew what was coming. I knew I was going to have to deal with my mother's death. I knew I was going to have to deal with my son's best friend's suicide. I knew I was going to have to deal with Baba and, and, um, New York, um, you know, I knew they were coming. I was like, do I really mm-hmm. want to do this? Do I want to leave that out? But I'm like, I can't leave that out. That's one of the purposes for the book. I have to go through it. And then just, so what's next is um, showing that there's life after loss. There's life after divorce. There's life after abuse. There's life after being single and going on a ton of dates and you meet the craziest people and you still are single. There's life after all of that, you know, and and that's part of 
what the book is about. There's life after whatever you're going through, there's life after it, you know, and you can be who you want to be, even if it doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look, you know, because if you would have asked me seven years ago where I was going to be, I would have said, I'm going to be remarried, mm. you know, I'll be working as a teacher till I'm 75. <laughs> you know, my kids will probably be married, you know, and graduated from college. Um, and very few of those things have happened, you know. So my life has turned out very different, but it's a blessing and it's good. And it's, it's, I'm very humble to have the life that I have, but you got to just, Go down the rabbit hole, you know, and 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 take the twists and turns. And so, yeah, that's what's next to to see where the rabbit hole leads and to just follow the the inner guidance wherever it goes. Mm. So. And uh, also a movie. <laughs> <laughs> a movie. <laughs> I think that, of course, obviously, but, you know, sometime awesome. maybe. Yeah, yeah. First, I have to learn how to write a, a screenplay again because I haven't <laughs> written one since college. So, yeah. But I, I want to thank you for uh, interviewing me on of the course. book. And, um, you know, I wanted to say to the people who haven't read the book, um, I definitely would love it if you read it and, and love it. If you shared it, if you have read the book, I would love for you to comment. I would love for you to review on Amazon, what you think about the book. Um, even if you're not done, if you want to just say, Hey, I'm in chapter five and this is what I think so far, you know, um, because I, I just, I think it's powerful to tell our stories. And I think that, um, it's, it's powerful to be honest and, and, raw and real and admit we don't know it all but we're learning and we're trying to grow and we're trying to make the best of what life throws at us and that's kind of what the book is about trying to make the best of what life throws at you try to make the best of the decisions that you make trying to learn and grow and and challenge yourself um and so i want to thank you guys for joining us and uh you can definitely, you know, subscribe to Zenergy and subscribe to my YouTube and follow me and um, and get the books. And I want to say, may you walk in Zenergy. Have a great night. Thank you. Zenashe, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest 
and boomeranging children. 